for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. Good morning. Good morning, young people. It's good to have you with us too this morning. And uh, I hope I can sort of track every age group here. Um, we're looking at, in, we're working our way through the book of Acts. If you're a visitor this morning, we're doing a mini-series on the book of Acts, looking at what it means to live uh, supernaturally as the people of God in our generation. And we do that by uh, learning from previous generations, especially by looking at the scriptures. And uh, if there's one thing I would say to the young people this morning, it would be great if you could get this under your belt at the age you are, um, because it's better to learn now than have to find out the harder way later on. And wish you could have got it then and really sort of know how to walk with God now rather than sort of find yourself struggling and encountering all sorts of problems as you go through life. Hitting walls and wondering how, whether this stuff works, whether it's real. Because what we're involved in is not religion, it's a relationship. It's a dynamic relationship. A relationship with God who is very personal. He is Father, Son and Holy Spirit in holy, happy, glorious, loving community from all eternity to all eternity. I love the Trinity. I love God. And uh, God is happy within himself and uh, he wants us to be happy in him. And he made us for himself and we broke that relationship through our sin, through our disobedience, but he still loved us. And in his love, he came to us in Jesus and and died for us and rose again as we've been singing and celebrating this morning that his death is indeed enough for each one of us. His grace is enough. You haven't got to try hard. It's not a case of performing. It's a case of resting in Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. And uh, he is the one in whom we find immense delight, great joy, And if you don't know him this morning, may I commend him to you. He is not merely a figure of history. He is a very present reality who loves you like no one else ever will. When he knows everything about you, every detail, he loves you. And he loves you so much that he died for you. And then he rose again, having paid for all our sin, paid the price... And uh, he lives today to save us. There's no other name under heaven whereby anyone can be saved. The only name is Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus made a very specific statement, didn't he? He said, I, he said the only approach to the Father is through me. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Very exclusive statement. So here we are looking at what it means to live in the Spirit. Romans chapter 8 verse 14 says, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God or children of God. All who are led by the Spirit of God. Everyone who is born again has some experience, some encounter with the Holy Spirit. We can't be a Christian without some encounter with the Holy Spirit. And so Paul says, all who are led by the Spirit of God, they are children of God. That's wonderful. It's a glorious truth that the Spirit comes to lead us. We've not been left on our own. Jesus, yes, has gone to heaven, but he said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will send you one just like myself, the one who is the promise of the Father, and he will be with you. 
He will be with you through the whole of your life. He will be with you to the end of the age. And so the Spirit has come. And if you're a Christian this morning, you know something of the Holy Spirit in your life. Now the fact is, you can know something more of the Holy Spirit as you go on in your life. You can know a deepening encounter and relationship with God the Holy Spirit through your daily life. Uh, Jesus uh, didn't send us a holy book. He sent a person, the person of the Holy Spirit, to be very present to us. Now that doesn't mean I denigrate or dishonor the Word. The Word is our foundation. It is that that touchstone which we come to. All scripture is God-breathed, but please hear me when I say, Jesus sent a person to be with us. He sent a person. And so this life that we live as Christians is lived in the power of the Holy Spirit, in his presence in our lives. And, and so we find that as we go through life, we, we want to to give more place to him. And I found out in my Christian experience that, yes, I thought I'd given my all to him right at the very beginning, and in one sense I had, but as time has gone by, I've discovered that there are rooms that I've not allowed him into. But he wants to enter and fill. And so the Holy Spirit wants to fill all of our lives. He wants to fill our relationships. He wants to fill your marriage, those of your marriage. How much do you know of the Holy Spirit in your your marriage relationship? Do you do God separately or do you do him together? Because he wants to be in your marriage. He wants to be in your family. Do you do God as a uh, do you do God separately in your family or do you do him together as well? Do you find place times and places to worship him together, to be in the word together, to be praying together? So all who are led by the spirit of God are the sons of God. And he is with us, present to us, dynamically. And the Spirit leads us in a a variety of ways. And we're going to come to the Scripture in just a minute, but there are just a few things I want to throw out before I really get to where we want to look in the Acts of the Apostles. But the Spirit leads us to family affection. And I just really felt God say to put that in there this morning. Because there may be some here this morning who, you know God, but he's, He's distant. He's not unreal to you, but you know him as the mighty God, the awesome and the holy one. And that affects your your relationship to him. But the Spirit leads us into a family relationship, into a familial relationship. And so it says straight, straight off, Paul says that the Spirit within us cries out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. God reveals himself in that way and the Spirit speaks within us and enables us to cry out. I mean, that, that's a cry from the, the very depths of our being. It's not just emotional. It's not just intellectual. It's emotional. There's that cry to God. God, you, you, you are my, my Father. You're my Abba. You love me and I love you and we have this wonderful, wonderful relationship. And I just really felt there may be someone this morning who... It just needs to hear that before we go any further. Because you know you're struggling your relationship with God if you can't get that. You'll be relating to God as either distant, as Uh, all-powerful. You'll be relating to God in a a cold way. 
But the Spirit leads us into a very personal and a very intimate relationship with God. I can remember the first time I heard someone, because I was so used to praying in majestic phrases, and the first time I heard someone just simply pray, Father. And I thought, I don't do that. Why don't I do that? Something I'd not comprehended. And maybe that's you this morning. He is your Father in heaven, and Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father who is in heaven. Do you have that deep emotional connection with him? That says, You're my Father. You, God, everlasting God, creator, sustainer, you are my Father. Hallelujah. Spirit also leads us to, to change, to transformation. God doesn't simply save us to leave us as we are. He loves us too much for that. And the Holy Spirit is the transforming agent within our lives. That's why we get ouches sometimes from the Holy Spirit. Things we say and we do. Those ouch factors, are you aware of them? Because they, they are processes of change. You can know them as young people. When you say something to a friend or you do something that hurts or offends somebody. The Holy Spirit doesn't go running away, but he does go, ouch, don't like that. And we can grieve the Holy Spirit. As much as we can grieve our friends, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. He doesn't go away, he's still there. And he just wants to help you. He wants to help us to be able to forgive he wants to be able to help us to say, I'm sorry. Oh, that's probably one of the biggest problems I've ever had. Saying sorry. What about you? Important words, I'm sorry. I got it wrong. I shouldn't have said that. Important words, I forgive you. I forgive you from the depths of my heart. I forgive you. And I will not hold this against you on another occasion. So he leads us to transformation. Because you see, you can't change yourself as a Christian. I've tried that, and it's pretty miserable. It leaves you drained. It leaves you a loser. But the Holy Spirit is the one who transforms us. And we can know that. He leads us to be a witness. He leads us to serve. He, he leads us to go. He leads us into the truth. You want to understand the Bible? Ask the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit. Do you read this? Yeah, it can seem a bit over your head at times. But the Holy Spirit inspired men and women a long time ago to write words. And they became the inscripted word, the word of God. This, brothers and sisters, is the word we go by. All scripture is God-breathed. Not necessarily easy to understand, but the Holy Spirit is given to us to help us to understand the Word. So when, when I go to the Word, I'm going with a, a mind that says, Holy Spirit, please teach me what you are saying here. Help me to understand your Word, because God, I'm thick. Yeah? See, this, this, this truth is spiritually discerned. There are people who study the Bible outside of Christian circles merely as an exercise 
in understanding the Bible and theology and that kind of thing, but they're not really interested in understanding spiritual truth. And therefore, they don't get it. And we have to say, God, open my eyes, open my ears, open my heart. I'm sick, help me to understand your word. So he leads us into the truth. And, and importantly, the Holy Spirit always leads us to Jesus. Always. Always. Even when we have sinned. The devil will come along and he'll push us away from Jesus as much as possible. Don't get near Jesus because he knows what Jesus does. He knows Jesus forgives. He knows that Jesus just loves to bless people. The Holy Spirit leads us to Jesus. The devil will seek to trample us under his feet. That's important to understand that. It might be that's been your experience in this last week. The devil's been trying to push you away from Jesus. There's some, some situation, maybe even looking at your own heart and you, you see some of the darkness there. And the devil says to you, oh, isn't that really dark? You think you're a Christian. And he will try and push you away from Jesus. But the Holy Spirit is right there saying, come. I've seen that darkness. I know all about it and I can drop my light into it. I can bring my healing. So that the wonderful ways in which the Holy Spirit leads, importantly, he leads us to Jesus. To Jesus. And he is a thoroughly satisfying saviour. He is a wonderful friend. He's a friend that sticks closer than any brother. Hallelujah. But what about the book of Acts here? What about what's going on here? And we, we hit Acts chapters 10 through 15, and I'm going to move through them uh, fairly swiftly. Um, but there's an awful lot going on here, because you see, God is about the purpose of establishing his purposes in the earth. It's about seeing his kingdom come. It's about his rule and his reign. It's about the advance of the gospel in the nations of the earth. And in chapters 10 through 15, we get a seismic change in God's purpose. We get a seismic change in the, the life of the people of God, in the church of Jesus Christ. A massive change, a big shift that goes on here. But it doesn't happen overnight. It happens through phases. God leads and we reflect on his leading and then we act on his leading. And then he speaks and we hear and reflect again and respond to him. And that is exactly what is going on when you look at Acts chapters 10 uh, through, well, it really starts off in 9 through 10, 11 through to 15. So let's read in the end of chapter 9, shall we, in verse 32. Meanwhile, Peter travelled from place to place, and he came down to visit the believers in the town of Lydda. And there he met a man named Aenus, who had been paralysed and bedridden for eight years. And Peter said to him, Aenus, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up, roll up your sleeping mat. And he was healed instantly. And then the whole population of Lydda and Sharon saw Enos walking around and they turned to the Lord. Wonderful, isn't it? A guy gets healed, everybody hears about it, says, what's going on? And they turn to the Lord. 
And there was a believer in Joppa named Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas, and she was always doing kind things for others and helping the poor. And about this time she became ill and she died. And her body was washed for burial and laid in an upstairs room. But the believers had heard that Peter was nearby at Lydda, so they sent two men to beg him, please come as soon as possible. So Peter returned with them, and as soon as he arrived, they took him to the upstairs room. The room was filled with widows who were there, who were weeping and showing him the coats and other clothes Dorcas had made for them. But Peter asked them all to leave the room, and then he knelt and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, get up, Tabitha. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and helped her, and then he called in the widows and all the believers, and he presented her to them alive. And this news spread through the whole town, and many believed in the Lord, and Peter stayed in Joppa a long time, living with Simon, a tanner of heights. Another amazing story. Somebody in tremendous need... And uh, you may wonder, why why on earth does he cast out those who are weeping, etc.? The reality is they weren't in a state to believe. And he had, if you like, to cast out the unbelief that was in the room. And then he focused on seeking the Lord, and having sought the Lord, he brought healing to this particular person. And again, as a result of that, the news spreads abroad and they hear the word of the Lord and many believe. And then, so now he's in Joppa, and he's, he's there, and he's staying with Simon and Tanner of Hydes. And it says in chapter 10, in Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer. So that's about 30 miles away. There lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout man, God-fearing, uh, as was everyone in his household. And he gave generously to the poor, prayed regularly to God, And one afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming towards him. And Cornelius, the angel said, and Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. And the angel replied, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He's staying with Simon and Tanner, who lives near the seashore. And as soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants, and he told them what had happened and sent them off to Joppa, 30 miles away. Interesting what's going on there. Was Cornelius a Christian? No. Was he a God-fearing man? Yes. Did his offerings mean something in some way? Yes. Was he saved? No. He needs the gospel. And so God speaks to him. God is able to speak to non-Christians. Amazing just hearing some of the testimonies that are coming out of the Muslim world. How God is speaking and they're hearing the gospel and getting saved. God speaks to non-Christians and to Christians. Christians, of course, have a personal relationship with God. And so the next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went on the flat roof to pray, for it was about noon, and he was hungry. And while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. That's like an ecstatic state. In some way, he was transported. He was taken up into this vision. And he saw the sky open, and something like a, a large sheet was set down by its four corners. And in the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds, and... Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, 
Peter declared, I've never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. Same vision was repeated three times and then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. God is speaking powerfully. Peter sees this vision not once, not twice, but three times. We can look at it from where we are and think, isn't it obvious what God is saying? But actually, for Peter, even after three times, he's not really getting God. He's not really hearing what God is saying. Because it says in the next verse, Peter was very perplexed. What could the vision mean? Have you ever been there? When God has spoken something, and it it should be obvious, but you've been perplexed by it. You've pondered on it. And this is what you find Peter doing. He, He ponders on the vision. What could the vision mean? And just then... The men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. And Simon was standing outside the gate. They asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. And meanwhile, look at it, verse 19, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, so there he is, he's, he's puzzling over the vision. He's had it three times. It seems simple to us, but he's not getting it. Because it is a powerful word that is going to transform the nature of the gospel and the way they go about preaching it. It's going to have a lot more to it than that as well. And so you read there, he's puzzling over the vision. The Holy Spirit then speaks to him and says, three men have come looking for you, they're at the door. Go downstairs and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent you. So the impression we get is he's not entirely got what God is saying. He's still puzzling over it. And then three people arrive from Cornelius, and the Holy Spirit says, look, you've got some people who've arrived. You need to go down, answer the door, listen to them, and go with them. This is interesting. You see, we can read the New Testament and think somehow these guys were really switched on. You know, that they, they always heard God clearly. When God spoke, oh yeah, that's, that's what God says, and that's what we've got to do. But no, they didn't. And I'm glad about that, because I struggle sometimes when God speaks. I don't get it. I am perplexed. I am puzzled. This, this will help you young people as you, you enter upon life, and you endeavor to hear God. They help every one of us. It helps us as a church. And you see this happening several times over the next few chapters. So that he was perplexed, the Holy Spirit speaks to him, and he goes. So Peter goes up to pray. First thing I just want to notice here is we should never think of regular prayer as being religious or legalistic. When you look at the disciples, they still continued the practices that they had been brought up in within Judaism. They would be there morning, midday, afternoon. Now, perhaps we can't do that. 
but it shows how important regular prayer is. You see, we can get the, the idea that the spontaneous, the voice of God is entirely spontaneous. But actually, the more I look at the New Testament, the more I look at the Scriptures, it is not as spontaneous as what I think it is. Because actually you find there is a foundation, there is a basis, there is something that goes before. So Peter was a man of prayer. He was a man who sought God when it felt good and when it didn't feel good. He had a certain discipline in his life that said, I know it is good to pray. That's good for every one of us, both personally and as a church. It's good for us to pray. And it's out of that regular praying that we get encounters with God. You know? It's out of that regular praying that suddenly we're in a place where God can speak. And it may be that you don't experience much of that because you're not praying as you should. Because you're not spending time with Father, seeking His face, endeavouring to hear His voice. So he went up to pray. Regular disciplined prayer. He was puzzled, he was, and he deliberated on it. So, okay, when God speaks, there's a place for, for deliberation. We don't always understand what God is saying. And I found in personal experience, and referred to it the other week, how you can hear a word, and you can think, ah, I got it, I got it, I got it. I know what to do. And then you find out, actually, as you begin to process and walk forward, there's more to that word than you could have imagined. And suddenly we can, we can rush too quickly into a word, thinking, I've got it. Let, let's do it. Let's act on it. When actually there's a place for process, for being puzzled. So what is God saying here? And frequently you find that in the Scriptures. When God speaks, there's much more to that word than was initially thought. And then he was obedient. It's important for us, if we're to continue in Revelation, to be obedient people of God. When God spoke, he went. He, if you, you're reading it there. He hasn't entirely got it after three visions of the same thing. He hasn't got it. It's not entirely clear. God says, now, there's people at your door. Get up and go with them. And if you notice there, it says in verse 20, it says, go without hesitation. Go without hesitation. Now, the interesting thing is, a little bit later, he's going to have to account for himself. He's with the the church in Jerusalem. He's gone down to to Jerusalem, and he's having to to give an account. And they're saying, well, what's all this? You know, you've been, and you've you've had dinner with with Gentiles, and and you've preached the gospel to them, and they've they've got saved. And, 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 you know, the Holy Spirit has been powerfully at work. What's going on? And so he goes, and he talks to them. But if you notice there in chapter 11, verse 2, and I'm jumping some verses, so you'll have to fill in the story in your own time. In chapter 11, verse 2, it says, When Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him. There will always be people who criticize the move of the Spirit because they don't understand it. Our job is not to reject them, but to help them to come to a place of understanding, to reflect on the Word. And that's what he does, and what's taking place. And the interesting thing is he doesn't talk about his vision when he's helping them. He talks about the word of God. He talks about the words of Jesus. And you have to read the chapter and see that in your own time. 
But the interesting thing is that in verse 11, when he's explaining the situation, he says, you know, three men who had been sent from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were staying, and the Holy Spirit told me to go with them and not to worry what, that they were Gentiles. That's the same word where it says without hesitation. So to begin with, it was about go without hesitation. Now as Peter reflects on what God is doing, he understands that the Holy Spirit was actually saying go without discrimination. Wow. Peter is getting it. (laughs) He's getting it. It's beginning to fall into place. And a little bit later in chapter 15, where you get the huge seismic shift taking place, Peter begins to see it even more clearly. If you want to just go there for a moment, we're just going to jump a bit there. Chapter 15, the council at Jerusalem. And this time it's not initially about about Peter, but it's about Paul and Barnabas. While Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria... Some men from Syria arrived and began to teach the believers. Unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you can't be saved. So in other words, they were saying, look, yes, um, you can be saved, but you have to be like a Jew. You've got to do life like us. Because you see, they hadn't entirely got it. Unless you're circumcised required by the law of Moses, you can't be saved. They were struggling with what was going on here. And Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. And finally the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers. And so they set off. Because they wanted to, to get an answer. They wanted to explore this and find out whether this was of God or not. And so they arrive in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul are welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and the elders, and they report everything that God has done through them. So we've heard about Peter, so Paul and Barnabas have been on mission and God's been doing things and, and Gentiles have been being converted. And, and, but then some of the believers who belong to the sect of the Pharisees, they stood up and insisted the Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. This was a biggie in the life of the church, which was largely Jewish at this time. And look at this. At the meeting after... So the apostles and elders, verse 6, so the apostles and elders met together to resolve the issue. There is a place for sitting down with questions, with the word of God, and examining these things and finding out the truth for ourselves where we search the scriptures. Is this right? Is it of God or is it not? And so that's what they do. They they meet together to resolve the issue. Now at the meeting, after a long discussion, notice who it is. It's Peter, stands up and addresses them as follows. He says, Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. God knows people's hearts and he confirmed that he accepts the Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. In other words, I saw this. This is my testimony. This is my experience. And he made no distinction. Notice that. He made no distinction, verse 9, between us and them for he cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a, notice this, with a yoke that neither we 
nor our ancestors were able to bear. We believe that you're all saved, that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. Wonderful. But I want you to understand, Peter has been led by the Spirit. He has been on a journey understanding the purposes of God. Now, at the council in Jerusalem, he's sharing with them the fullness of that understanding. Not only that he should go and preach the gospel to the Gentiles so that they can be saved, but actually, Jews, brother Jews in Jesus, sister Jews in Jesus, this yoke that was too heavy for us to bear is no longer relevant. Wow. That's that's a huge seismic shift in the understanding of the church at that time. And you see how there's been this process of praying, of being people of the word. And we've not looked too much at that, and we could do so from those portions of Scripture. People of of prayer, people of the word, people of the spirit, people in relationship with God, people who hear God, who having heard God, then process what God is saying and then reach conclusions. But they don't get it all at once. Suddenly, as time goes by, as they track through with God, things become clearer. And Peter is able to stand up and say, we don't need this joke anymore. It's no longer relevant. For whether we are Jews or Greeks, we're all saved through faith in Jesus Christ. That was seismic in the life of the early church. And it becomes the, the crucible and the crux within the, which the whole of Acts begins to twist and turn and move in a new direction. And that's what we need to understand here as we look at this particular portion because there has been this transition which takes place with God speaking to individuals. You also got God speaking to the church community and there's there's some other things here that we could have looked at. But you see that what God was doing was changing their thinking. He was transitioning them. He was bringing them to a new place in his purposes whereby actually suddenly there was now, when you get to chapter 15, there is a shift entirely away from Jerusalem to Antioch. And so you find that Antioch becomes the centre of things as mission goes out. Suddenly there's the commissioning of Paul and Barnabas to go out into the nations. And again, if we had time to to look at that, you'll find out actually that when God speaks there, as they are praying and as they are worshipping together, and when God speaks there within that context of prayer and worship, they don't get it all in one go. It's that they have been commissioned to go, but they're not given the specifics. And you read that they then go back to prayer. They pray about it again. Brothers and sisters, when you get a word, you need to go back to God. You need to pray over it. God, what are you saying? Have I heard this clearly? Where do I go with this? What do I do with this? We've been doing that as a church. We've been processing things. Because we want want to get it right. We want to hear God. We want to fulfill his purposes. And so you get this huge transition. Um, Can can I encourage you in your own time, because time has gone, to to read through those chapters, end of chapter 9, right through chapter 15 and see the the big shift that takes place in the life of the church. 
And it is through people being led by the Spirit. It's people who pray regularly. People who are people of the Word so that they can test these things to see whether these things are so. It's people who deliberate. It's people who then act and move forward in the purposes of God. Let me try and summarize. Consistent praying set them up for an encounter with God. God was at work, but there was more he wanted to do. And you see that, you can see that in the run-up to to Antioch, um, which you can look at in your own time. The taught and expounded word prepared them to receive the prophetic word. There was deliberate, consistent teaching. Look at the run-up into Antioch itself, in the other chapters we've not had time to refer to. It's one thing to receive a prophetic word, it's quite another thing to understand exactly what God is saying. And that's the challenge. That's the excitement. It pushes us back into relationship with God. This is a life we live with the Holy Spirit. We do it individually. Doesn't matter what age we are. There's always time to learn and to grow in this relationship with the Holy Spirit. And we aid that relationship when we're in the word that the Holy Spirit breathed. We aid that relationship when we're praying. When we're seeking his face, when we're in his presence, just talking to him. If you're anything like me, you can get tired of the ordinary. Because we live in a world that is flashbang wallop, don't we? And you can get tired of the ordinary, but you have to plod at times. You have to plod frequently, but in the plodding, God can break in. God can speak. God can release a new word to you, to us. And then we wait on God. Say, God, what does this mean? We can explore it with others, and there's safety in that. Not just running off on your own with a word, but saying, I had this word. I had this word. I think it might mean this. Would you agree? A multitude of counsellors, the safety. So we explore God's word together. And then we can go with confidence and watch God at work as he chooses to unfold yet another part of our story, whether it's individually or corporately. Wow. Amen.